I can hear all your voices from up here. <laughs> it is a blessing. You know, one thing that I think is fascinating, in the same time, it's very hard to do. You know, one thing that is very hard to do is play the piano and sing at the same time. I don't know how she does it, but she does it, and it blesses my heart. Because, I, I mean, not a lot of people that can do that. Amen. Uh, okay, let's look to uh, the Bible. Um, in the Bible, yeah. Second uh, Kings chapter nine. Uh, we continue our journey to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter nine. Brother Tom, I'm glad you're here today because some of these names are a little. Oof. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's look at verse one. Like, let's say 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, and it says, And Elijah, the prophet, uh, the, am I in the right place? Yeah. The prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Girl up thy loins and take this box of oil in thy hand and go to Ramon Gilead. Ramon Gilead. Okay. Ramon Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look at there, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the, uh, the son of Nimshai, I guess, and, and go in and make him arise upon, uh, uh, from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber and take the, uh, the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. As we look at this chapter, chapter 9 of Second Kings I pray, Father, help us to learn uh, and to apply to our lives uh, the things that are applicable to us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sword and the, and the crown, and the crown, that's the title of the message tonight, the sword and the crown. And we look in here in an interesting, um, so today, I'd say, today's story is not your average Sunday school story. You know, we have... <laughs> uh, Noah built the ark, you know, Joshua, and all these little stories that, you know, good stories, you know, they're good, good stuff in the Bible, wonderful stories. But this is not your average story in the Bible, a story that you learn in Sunday school. This is more like uh, a hard story here, but a lot of truths and a lot of applications we can um, apply to our lives here. So since the Bible, uh, uh, since the Bible is nearly 2,000 pages long, oh, give it or take it, there are many stories that real, uh, very rare we read or even listen or, or been taught in church. I think, to be honest with you, one of the things I like about Bible study, as we go systematically through the Bible, is that we can learn many things in the Bible that otherwise you, you just read it for yourself and you say, what is that? Pastor never preach on that. Some books of the Bible, some pastors, I never heard of it. You know, so, uh, but this is one of those stories. Uh, some of you probably, those of you go through the Bible, uh, uh, read those things. By the way, I, I forgot to tell you, I finished my Bible reading for the year about two weeks ago. Uh, just cruise right to the book of Revelation and <clears throat> praise the Lord, I did it again. <laughs> Looking forward to start again my journey through the Bible on my, on my own time. So, um, so this is a story of blessings. Judgment and blessings taken away, okay? This is a story that in many ways fits in the life of many people. I'm talking about Christian people, okay? Um, the Lord is always ready to bless His children. You know, here's one thing we need to keep in mind. 
our God is a God that, that wants to bless his children. But in order for him to bless his children, he wants something from us. Okay? Listen. Who's a parent here? Okay. We have most people are here parents. Here's one thing. Do you reward do you reward um, bad behavior? No. You you try to teach them, say this is wrong, you gotta do this, right? Because you don't think it's right. But when your kids do right, good job. You know, like what you know, all these words come out, affirmation comes up. You know what? Because you know it's good. And sometimes, ah, mom and dad, we're gonna take it for an ice cream. Or we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, you might give them something or a special cake or whatever it is, you know. I mean, I can't do that to my kids because they're all adults now. <laughs> but anyway, but you, you still can say it, you know, hey, good job, you know, because is that because we reward good and we don't reward evil. Well, I don't don't I don't think our God, you know, wants to reward evil either. He doesn't. But he rewards and blasts goodness. Okay? So this, uh, the Lord is always ready to bless His children. The Lord will discipline us when we disobey Him, like any, any godly parent will do. And because of it, the Lord will withhold blessings from us sometimes. Now, the battle of Jehu right here are hard to understand without understanding the historical background of 2 Kings. But, but tucked inside the story are a few life lessons that we can, make a, can apply to our lives here, okay? And I like to do that. I like to look at the, at the passage, also make a little application, something we can apply to our lives as well. So through Jehu, we can learn that, that although it is, a, a, it is true that God blesses and grants uh, success to those who seek to obey Him, God also can and will put away His blessings from, uh, uh, from one who uh, willfully chooses to live in sin. So Jesus said, says this concerning this same subject, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 6 for a second. We're looking about the same subject, like blessings, okay? And when and withholding blessings. And look what Jesus says concerning this thing, okay? Matthew 6, 24. Look what it says. No man can serve what? Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus is clear right here, okay? You know? In order for us to get those blessings from the Lord, we need to be obedient to the Lord, live in obedience to Him, and He will bless us for it. Okay, but if we are going in the ways of sin, oh, God is going to bless us for that? No, He's going to correct us. So Jehu tried to serve two masters, but he could not. Neither, neither do we. We cannot have our heart divided in two parts. We cannot have a, a mind divided in two parts, okay? We cannot have a, our way of life devoted to two gods. You can't. People try. People try to do those things. People try to, to, to have their heart divided in two parts. People try to have their mind divided in two parts. But it's very hard. Or people even try to devote themselves to two gods. It's like, it's like a, the old saying, you cannot live, uh, uh, you know, on the, uh, uh, try to walk on the fence without falling to one, the other side. You, you walk, eventually you're going to fall each way. You, or you fall to the left or you fall to the right. You can, my, you know, like, let's say, let's say all of us are going to try to put ourselves on the fence. Some of us might go longer than others based on your ability to, you know, to get even, walk around without fall. But eventually you will fall. 
I remember one, one time years ago, I probably was like 11 years old, 11, 12, around that age. And we had a bridge. We were kids. We had a bridge in our town. And, and this bridge was, it was open pretty much. It was a rail with about, with a three-inch pipe about like that and a rail down. And we would like to go and walk on, on this rail. And, of course, we always tried to lean towards the left because it was the road. And if you lean towards the right, it was muddy water down there. And it was on one time, you know, we were doing the thing, and this guy, he goes, I can run on this, and nobody's going to stop me. And, and he did, and he goes again, and there's again. By the third or fourth time, he ran, but he didn't run to the road. <laughs> down he went. Eventually, <laughs> eventually he fell to the other side, and he fell head down in that mud. Oh. It was. I still remember that. Some things just stuck with you, you know. So, <laughs> so, we either serve one or serve the other, or serve one and hate the other. But we cannot give. You cannot give your whole heart to two masters at the same time. You cannot serve God while continuing to hold on the false ways of life or on the ways of this world. You can't because you're going to be miserable. So, as Joshua said, we must choose for ourselves. Which way are we going to go and which God are we going to serve? Look, go to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. we get to our points in a second here. Joshua 24, 15. Just kind of set up the stage right here so you can understand where we're going with this. Uh, Joshua 24, 15. And he's what? He's giving a message to the children of Israel. He stands in front of them. And think about for a second. He already made his decision when he presents that to the children of Israel. Look what he says. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, that's Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day. We're talking about the power of choice right here, Brother Tom. Okay? Choose you this day whom you will serve. It said you make the choice who you're going to serve. Look what it says. He describes. Either the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. We're talking about the gods of Egypt and all those other gods as they served, as they they came to the promise, or to all the way to the promised land, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. Well, what he says, but as, but as for me, in my house, you already made this decision. We will serve the Lord. You see, all of us can make that choice here. You can say, as for me, in my house. You can be the house of one or the house of fifty. You make that choice. All of us make that choice. So, to whom is your heart allegiance to? To whom is your allegiance to? To whom is my allegiance to? To myself? To the gods of this world? Or to the God of heaven who loved me? He gave himself for me. So let's take a look together. 2 Kings chapter 9. And uh, in chapter 10 here. 9 and 10. And, and the rise and fall of King Jehu right here. In those days, let me tell you this. They were not good. Uh, they were uh, not a good. Uh, I'm sorry. In those days, things were not good in the, in the nation of Israel. The nation was divided in two. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They had two kings, one in the north and one in the south. Can you imagine a nation divided in two? After what the Lord did for them in Egypt and put them all, all in the promised land, they could, they could flourish in that land and serving their God, but they choose to go the other way. So after Solomon's death and his son Rehoboam, we studied this, was set uh, to, be, to become the next king, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. 
and led a group of people to confront Rehoboam with a demand for, to lighten the taxes and burdens on the people. Of course, when Rehoboam refused to demand, the ten tribes uh, rejected Rehoboam and David's dynasty, 2 Kings uh, twelve sixteen, And uh, 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 Hijab prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, only Judah and Benjamin remained loyal to to, the, to King Rehoboam here, and the other ten tribes went to Jeroboam. So Rehoboam made plans to mount an assault on the rebel tribes, but the Lord prevent him from taking their actions. And my question is, why? Because they were brothers. They couldn't, they couldn't stand each other, but they were brothers. And so you're not going to attack your own brothers. It's amazing what went on here. We've studied this stuff. So, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day right here, to this passage that we have reading right here tonight. So the northern kingdom is called Israel, or sometimes Ephraim in Scripture, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. And from the divine viewpoint, the division was a judgment and not, on not keeping God's commands, especially the commands uh, about idolatry. The, 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 you know one thing. God took the children of Israel out of Egypt. But the children of Israel never took Egypt out of their hearts. You follow that? Some, th some things with Christians too. God saves their soul. But the world never leaves their heart. You follow that? We can say, but that's what happens. You see, God moved them out of Egypt. Took them to the land, the land of promise of milk and honey. But Egypt never left their hearts. Wonder Why? You say, where they learn idolatry in Egypt? Didn't God have ten plagues and prove them that the gods of Egypt were nothing to him? What about Christians? They got saved. God saved them, cleansed them. And, and, and now they're ready. They're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now they can, they can serve the Lord. But you know what? The Lord cleans them up, gets in their heart, but the world never leaves their heart. And you know what? To their journey as Christians is a constant struggling. Because you know what? They're living on the fence. They, want, they don't let go of the world, but they want God too. And that's a horrible way to live. Can't serve two masters. Okay? So from a, a human viewpoint, the division was the result of a tribal discord and political unrest. The principle is that sin brings division, folks. Sin brings division in nations and also in the individual people's lives. So in those days, there were also very few good things. Kings in Israel right here in the book of Kings. They're all bad kings here, most of them. So in 1 Kings 16.30, it says that the former king named Ahab, and that he had done more evil in the sight of the Lord than all those before him. Ahab was not a good king. He was an evil man. He was a murder and idolater. And so, and so we see in 2 Kings 9 that God used one of Elijah's prophets to anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel. And he is given an assignment right here. Okay, look at 2 Kings 9 verse 7. Then our text. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master. And then the young men poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Look at verse 6. Now saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee over the people of the Lord, even of Israel. So let's look at this passage from several points tonight. We set the stage. Let's look at this right now. Number one, an instrument of judgment. 
an instrument of, judge, of judgment. We see this in verse 9. There are, there are some, things, uh, some things we live on which we are called without reservation to be there without an excuse, folks. And sometimes those calls are hard calls because of its responsibility. This man Jehu is called to a tremendous task of responsibility here. So, talking about being an instrument of judgment here, I think the worst that I ever done was the day when I, I had to fire uh, some co-workers. You know, when I worked at Artvac Corporation many years ago, I was in management there, and uh, talking about an uh, instrument of, of righteous and judgment, you know, there was some guys in there, they didn't want to work. They were giving us a hard time. They were not being productive, and I didn't know what to say. I was going to those meetings, and I knew about their background, their families, their kids, and I didn't want to let them go. And my boss called me aside after one meeting one time. He said, you know what? you got to go tell so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Friday is their last day. You know how hard was that? Was it right? Yes. Was it hard? Ah, it was awful. You're talking about losing sleep. You know, because you know their families, and they've been working. And and you try, you know, like, listen, it's not like you didn't try to explain to them, listen, guys, every day I'm going to a meeting, I have to report what you're doing. I have to tell the owner what's going on in this department. They take it lightly. They think it's like you're just bluffing. They think like you're just saying things just to make them work hard. I said, listen, guys, I don't have to be here policing you guys because I know what you're doing. I can be out there. I know what you produce all day. I don't have to police you. You know, you do what you want, but eventually, you know what? Talking about an instrument of judgment, I have to come to him on Friday and say, I'm sorry, guys. I, there's no more work for you here. You're talking about like you know, the, you're sweating. <laughs> your, your mind is at ease. Your words are broken because it's, it's hurtful even to do that. But I had to do that one time. It was not an easy thing to do. And I told my boss, can, can we do something? Can we do something about it? And his words is like, you know what? They already, got, they already got the opportunity. We come here to work and not to play around. And I see many things like, oof. So we're talking about an instrument of judgment here. So I struggle. I struggle for several weeks on that, even after we let him go. Letter A, we see the death of Joram right here. Look at verse 21 and verse 22 of 2 Kings, chapter 9. And Joram uh, said, make ready, and his chariots and ma- uh, was made ready. And Joram, uh, king of Israel, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Nabat the Je- uh, Jez- Jezreelite. And it came to pass when Joran, uh, these names, oh, so Jehu, that he said, It is peace, Jehu? And he answered, With peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother's Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. And look at verse 23. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Hehazai, There is treasury, uh, or Hehazai. And Jehu drew a bow, uh, a bow and with. Uh, with his full strength and smote uh, Joram uh, between his arms, and the, air, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. You see, the word shalom, or peace, is repeated eight times in this, in this section here. But, the, but even was actually a declaration of war right here. Without slowing, 
this peace. Jehu received uh, Joram's, uh, Joram's two messengers and commanded them to ride with his company. And they obeyed. However, when the, his two messengers failed to return to Jezreel, Joram became suspicious and he ordered, he ordered his own chariots to be ready for an escape. See, they knew something was up and they knew judgment was coming. And God was using this man Jehu to bring judgment to the house of Ahab. You know what? Folks, let me put it this way. We can go on sin as much as we want. We have that choice. But sometimes God uses one person or another person to bring judgment into, uh, or declare, this is what's going to happen to you. Remember, folks, this is the same God that we worship. Because today is a thing in our society on which, oh, my God would never do that. Oh, my God would never do that. My God is a loving God. My God would, oh, never do that. You know what? That's a God made up in their own minds. That's not the God of the Bible. Because if they read the God of the Bible, they're going to agree with me. Our God is a God of love. Yeah, absolutely. A forgiving God. A graceful God. A merciful God. Absolutely. I agree with all that. But He's a God of justice too. He is a God of justice. How long Ahab has been doing evil? For quite a long time. Can you imagine having a man killed because he went a vineyard? He did a lot of evil. Eventually, God he says, you know what? It's enough. And it happened. See, let it be, we see the death of Ahaziah. Verse 27 all the way to verse 29, we see this. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw so this. He fled by the way of the garden house and Jehu followed him and said and, and said smite him also in his chariot and they did so and the, the going up to Gur uh, these names are uh, if you can do better than me <laughs> which are by whatever name is that and he fled to Medigo Medigo brother Tom Megiddo there you go thank you and died there I, I love brother Tom he needed my helper okay <laughs> And uh, let's see, verse 28 says, And his servants carry him in a chariot to Jerusalem and bury him in a sepulcher with his father in the city of David. And the eleven year of Joram, the son of Ahab, began Hezekiah to reign over Judah. So uh, Jehu had a hard calling right here. Can you imagine the Lord? Imagine if you were this man. Imagine God calling you to deliver a judgment to somebody house imagine if the lord will put you there now imagine you being in this guy's feet you mind your own business you think going through life and god says ah, this is what you're going to do for me here's a call of judgment right here it's obviously so why the lord wants to get rid of these people because of what they're spreading out remember who's going to come through the nation of israel the lord jesus you see the children, the children of Israel, it was a, they were covenant people. Jesus is going to come through that line of David. Jesus is our Messiah. You know what? God's going after them over and over again. Who are we? Christians. How are we supposed to live? Righteously, holy, separated lives. And we don't, when we don't do it, who's going, to, who's going to discipline us? Our Heavenly Father. Don't live in fear, okay? Don't, don't, don't say, oh my goodness. No, no, no. We are sinners, okay? All right? 
Okay, hear me well. We are sinners. We do wrong. Right? Agree with me? Okay, and sometimes we do wrong, and, and we ask forgiveness, and we do the same thing again. Then we ask forgiveness, and we do it again. Like little kids. That's why we never graduate to adults in the, in, in the mind of the Lord. The Lord calls us as children. It's for a reason. Because little kids is like, don't put your finger in there. And, and you, you look away, you look back. They're looking at you and they try to put their finger in there. Because they're kids. We're the same way. All right? And we ask forgiveness. You think the Lord forgives. All right? We see right here as a persistent evil way of living consistently with no care for God at all. And God says, I'm done with you and I'm bringing judgment to your house. Okay? So, in verse 20 says, And the watchman told him, saying, He came even unto, unto them, and, and cometh now again, and driving is like the, the driving of Jehu, the son of Nashai, for, for he driveth ferociously. Now, Jehu driveth ferociously towards the battle as he obeys what God has told him to do. And in verse 24, he draws his bow, uh, his bow right here with his full strength and pierced the heart of the son of King Ahab and named Jerem right here. So uh, then he continues his pursuit to the other king and shot him as well. So it is not, had he not com comprom uh, not compromised with Jerem right here to worship Baal right here and follow his mother. Of course, we see that these people right here, they're worshiping Baal. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord continually. And in these people have power enough to, to, to drag the the people of Israel with them, they were doing a very successful job. And God says, you know what? I'm bringing justice to your house. Let us see. We see the death of Jezebel. From verse 30, uh, chapter th uh, uh, 9, from verse 30 all the way to verse 37, we see the, uh, the death of Jezebel. Now, we know what Jezebel did. We know how capable, how, how evil was this woman. But look at verse 37. Look what it says. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as uh, dung upon the face of the field, the portion of Jezreel. So they shall uh, now say, this is Jezebel. And what's going to happen? She's going to be killed. Her body is going to be such a bad shape. She's going to be eaten by dogs in a way that nobody even recognizes her. Why so that way? Because that's the wickedness of this woman. God is so disgusted with this, the wickedness of this woman that God said, this is what's going to happen to you. That was prophesied, actually. So, in one day, two kings are killed by Jehu, but he's not finished. He completes his mission by having uh, King Ahab's wife named Jezebel put to death as well. So Ahab's death was predicted by the prophet Elijah in, in Micah, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 19, and uh, chapter 22, verse 28. So Jezebel, gruesome dead, was also predicted by Elijah, 1 Kings 21-23. Okay? True to the prophecy, Ahab was killed in a battle with Assyria. Later, Jezebel was thrown from a tower, 2 Kings verse 9, verse 33. Actually, let's look at that. Verse 33. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the walls and on the horses, and he, and he trod her on the foot. So Jehu knew his mandate from the Lord. After Jezebel was thrown over the, the wall, Jehu rode his horse over her body until he was sure that she was dead. 
See what this guy did? This guy was so determined to follow what God said. He killed those two kings, talking about judgment. And he comes and he, this woman, go over the wall just in case you didn't die. Let me make sure you're dead. What about for you that were told to do that mission? That's a gruesome thing even to see. You, know, you have a, on top of a horse stepping on somebody. But this man was doing what God said. So, and since he is not king, Jehu went into the palace and called for something to eat. As he was dining, he even remembered that, that evil, as, that she was Jezebel, and she was a princess, of course, uh, before she became the queen of, of Israel. So, now, now, uh, so he ordered the servants to go bury her body, but it was too late. Smelling human blood, the wild dogs show up and ate her body, leaving only a skull, feet, and the palm of her hands. It was a gruesome scene right here, but it was what Elijah had predicted that would happen in 1 Kings chapter 21. You see right here, he said, I said, oh, you see? There's some people that say, you see, that's why I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. I only like the God of the New Testament. Let me tell you, folks, it is the same God. Actually, if you're going to just want to be one of those that just believe in the God of the New Testament, you have to take more than half of the, of the New Testament out because a lot of the New Testament is quotations from the Old Testament. That's right. You cannot have one without the other. You follow that? You cannot have one without the other. The God of love and mercy is a God of justice as well. Why is that? Because of the evil that these people did continually. They were wicked people. And God used one man as an instrument of judgment right here. So, we see num point number one, an instrument of judgment. Point number two, we see selfish ambition. That's in chapter 10. There's a twist in the story right here. At this point, Jehu assumes to appear to be obedient to the Lord. As we see at the start of chapter 10, Jehu put to death 70 sons of Ahab. Again, fulfilling the judgment and word of the Lord right here. But then in chapter 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 12 to 14, Jehu goes too far. Be careful when God gives you an assignment that you don't overstep our boundaries. Okay? And that's exactly what he does. Look at verse 10. Now, now uh, know now that there shall fall unto the earth nothing of the word of the of the, I'm sorry, of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. And the Lord had done that which he spake by a servant Elijah. Elijah. So Jehu slew all the raiment of the house of Ahab in, in Jezreel, and all his great men and his uh, king's folks and, and his priests, until he left none remaining. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria. And as he, uh, and as, I'm sorry, and as he was, at the shearing house in the way. Jehu met with the brethren of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Hezekiah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And, and he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty, forty men, neither laughed ye any of them. You see, we need to be careful that we don't overstep God's boundaries. 
God might tell us to do something, and we should do as, as obedient children to the Lord, but we should not overstep our boundaries. And that's what this guy does right here. Okay? So Jehu defined the commission right here had now become a personal crusade motivated by his own self-ambition. Get this. All ambitions are lawful except those which claim upward uh, on the, uh, I'm sorry, misery and cruelty of mankind. Lawful ambitions uses truth and builds on the past while unlawful ambition uses lies and destroys the past. Dictators must annihilate, annihilate the enemies in order to be safe, but he's still doing the, doing the destroy the past and the information and held their need for moving into the future. So let me tell it this way. A German philosopher said these words, every hill hopes to become a, a valley, and Jehu was not driving that lane. Okay? Let's go to letter A. Jehu goes too far. Look at verse 11. So Jehu slew all the remain of the house of Ahab in, in Jezreel and all this. So to prove that he intended to obey God and purge the land of, of Ahab's family, Jehu proceeded to kill all Ahab's descendants that he found in Jezreel. But he did not stop there. Okay? He went beyond his divine commission and killed Ahab's close friends, his chief officers, and the priest serving in the palace. It, it was a, a, a slaughter based on guilt by association right here. He went beyond his boundaries. Yes, he, would, he was told to bring justice to the house uh, of uh, judgment, the house of Ahab, but he passed out. He did something on, by his own mind. I said, I'm going to just do this. In fact, sometime later, he had serious problems with the Assyrians and he could have used some of the wisdom and experience of the court office that he killed. By wiping out those former leaders, Jehu destroyed a valuable source of political wisdom and skill right here. He left Jezreel and he went to Samaria and he claimed his throne right here, but he made a mistake. He went against uh, uh, the will of the Lord right here. And of course, we're going to see some stuff right here about this. Look at what it says actually in uh, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 12. It says, And he arose and departed and came to Samaria. And as he was at the shearing house in the way, and we already read these verses, but we see right here what he does. Uh, let me give you an example right here. Looking down at those who are lost, um, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, I think we can learn something about this. I, there you go. This guy, uh, this guy with the zeal for God overstepped his boundaries. Let me put it this way. We have to be careful that our zeal for God doesn't cause us to sin against God. You follow that? Let me give you an example. Okay. There was one time one man that had a great zeal for God in our church. Not here. Different church. Okay. And this man, it was all for the boss ministry. That was all about boss ministry. That, that's what he was, boss ministry. Nothing wrong with that. He loved the bus ministry. Out of all his whole family in there. But one night, there was Sunday night, there was, we were, pastor was preaching, and of course the bus ministry was kids, you know, some wild boys and then kids, and, and they, you know, they always misbehave. And I remember Jim used to sit between those boys, and Heather used to sit between those boys, just try and make the peace, you know. And these kids, you know, they, they came from broken homes and all kinds of stuff. You know, uh, 
I remember picking up some of those kids. The mothers were spanking them out the door, and you better behave if I hear something. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so these three boys were sitting in the pew right in front of them, him, and suddenly in the middle of the service, he grabs this kid by the neck. I'm not kidding. By the, I mean, zeal for God. You know, let's pay attention listen to the word of God. Grabs by the neck, pulls him up, walks him out of the pew, and walks him down the aisle and gets, you know, we had those big fire doors, you know, opens the door with the kid's head. Boom, right out the door. You were there, right? You remember that. And we were like, the pastor was like, his eyes were like that, his jaw was open. He was like, he couldn't believe it. And we were looking around like, when what happened here? He said, this is a long story, but I'm going to leave it right here, okay? This is a long story. There's an end for this story. But you know what? We need to be careful that we don't have too much zeal that we become to do things that are foolish like that. Because that's how, you know what? Here's one thing. Think about it. He tried to keep peace and quiet so the pastor could preach. He caused a big uproar. Then the pastor couldn't preach. He tried to do good, but his zeal caused him to get the things much worse. That's what I'm trying to say here. So, looking down at those who are lost is talking about boundaries right here. We need to be careful that we don't cross boundaries in our walk with the Lord. So, I was thinking on this, on my, uh, on this, um, uh, my own way, thinking about this. So, we too have to be careful, like I said, that we don't take our Christianity as a means to do evil to others. Okay, we think we're doing good and we end up doing evil to others. We need to be careful that we don't cross our boundaries for who we are. We need to be careful, okay? Because sometimes, you know, we mean well, but we're way, way far from biblical principles, okay? Let me give you an example. Looking down at those who are lost is crossing our boundaries. You follow that? I said, Pastor, why is that? We shouldn't ever look, look piously like, oh, look, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Mm, okay, you. That is crossing boundaries. You know why? They need the Lord. And if you remember, we've been there too. All right? We look, look at them with compassion and love and kindness. And if it's something, we need to pray for them because they need salvation. Like somebody prayed for us as well. You know, I remember when, when a pastor approached because I got saved. I was my, in my 30s. I remember when the Pastor Strickland came to me and said, I said, you know what? You've been in coming church for, for some time. When, when are you going to get saved? And I said, I said, I don't know. I was like, why don't you come up Sunday morning? She just come up. And he, I said, Pastor, I, I can't do it. Everybody, everybody's going to look at me. He said, you know, all these people are praying for you. That touched my heart. I'm a total stranger in a church. I don't even know half of the people or almost nobody in the people. These people are praying for me. That's what you need to do. We, we see we need to be careful that we don't look down at people like that because we're going to cross our boundaries. Another thing, doing evil to those who are in the house of God or even those who are outside of the house of God is called uh, crossing boundaries. We are to pray for one another. We are to pray, go to the book of Matthew, pray for those who are persecute us, do evil to us, talk bad about us. God says we have to pray for them. Taking something that's supposed to be private to a public arena is crossing boundaries. All right? I think that sometimes we need to be cautious and be careful. We need to have wisdom and ask God to give us wisdom. Because sometimes in our zeal to do good for the Lord, we can end up doing what the Lord didn't call us to do in the first place. All right? 
Letter B. You see, the, uh, enlisted, uh, he enlists as a friend. Look at verse 15 all the way to verse 17. It says, And when he had departed thence, he lied on Jehos, uh, Jehonadab, the son of Recap, thank you, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with, with thy heart? And Je, uh, Jehonadab answered, It is. If it, is, if it is be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him unto his chariot. Now remember right here, Jehonadab right here doesn't know what Jehu have done. Okay? And he said, come in with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all the remaining and to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord which he spake to Elijah. Here's one thing we need to be, be careful right here. See, this guy definitely has zeal for God. Here's the problem right here. He tried to friend this guy here, Jeh Jehonadab right here. You know what? But he's not telling him what he had done. You know what? We need to be careful that we, with our zeal for the Lord, we don't do evil and drag people with us. You follow that? We need to be careful with that. We need to be careful. We need to, we need to check ourselves. Am I doing wrong, Lord? Am I dragging people with me? Yeah, I'm doing this. He said, because you know what? Oh, this is for the Lord. Listen, it's got to be a biblical thing. Otherwise, it's not for God. We need to be careful. So we see an instrument of judgment. Number two, a selfish ambition. And number three, we see pride and desire for glory. Pride and desire for glory. Pridefulness is a serious sin, folks. Pridefulness doesn't look good in the life of a Christian. You know what? It doesn't look good for a Christian to be a prideful person. I tell you what. You say, Pastor, no such thing. I've never seen a prideful Christian. Have you ever seen one? I've seen quite a few through this years. I'll give you an example. Okay? Years ago, First Baptist Church in Warwick, long time ago, many years ago, we were doing, we have an a, a activity. You know what? The more people in the church, the more garbage cans. Right? Because if you have a get-together, these garbage cans are going to fill up. You know? Actually, it was not a first bath. Yeah, it was a first bath. Okay. And, uh, and you know what? These garbage cans fill up. They fill up. And what do you need to do when they are got the garbage can is full? You need to empty. It's a common sense, right? So we were there. I was there. Other people, we were getting, put a new, uh, actually, we're taking the thing out, tied it up, taking it to the dumpster, and somebody else will put a, a, a new fresh bag in there, and you come back, and sometimes the thing is already full again. You know, so that was our job. And the pastor's wife, the pastor's Look at this man that was, you know, talking intensely and said, said to him, said, I'm not going to mention the name, <laughs> but anyway, said to him, um, if you could help. And he said, sure, I'm going to help. I said, you know, could you help the folks just empty those garbage cans and so we can clean this up so everybody can go home in time and fashion. Turns around and looks at her and said, you know who I am? I don't do garbage cans. I was like, my judges dropped down. I was like, I almost said to him, you knew who I am? I know, I know, I could, all of us could say the same thing, right? You know what? 
Humility and humbleness fits everywhere. Serving the Lord with gratitude of heart, even if it's just take the empty the garbage. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what. One time we had a youth group activity up in Richmond, Rhode Island. There's a big fairgrounds in there. It was over a thousand teenagers there. And I was excited because, you know, I want to be part of the, you know, all the games and stuff. I wanted to be in the games because, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I love sports. So I, I, I want to be part of the games. And you know what they put me? Take care of the men's bathroom. That's what I did. That was my ministry. Make sure no paper, no garbage. You know, you know kids go over there and throw things all over the place. The pastor said to me, it's like, your job is to make sure that their bathroom is spotless clean. I'm like, oh. But you know, humility just sick in my head. I went there and I did my job, you know. You know what? I had a good opportunity. I witnessed, I was in witnessing to these kids coming in. You know, they come in, good opportunity. I'm not going anywhere, you know. They need to go to the bathroom. They're in line. I'm witness for, for the Lord over there. It was a great ministry. But I tell you what, it takes humbleness, isn't it? Some people are very prideful. And we should be careful with pride. We should be very careful with pride. Look at verse 16, where it says there. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him a, uh, him a ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all the raiment unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the sayings of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. Letter A, we see deception. Jehu had finished the work of writing na the, the nation of a, uh, 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 getting rid of the, uh, uh, the nation of Ahab's family. So there were no descendants who could challenge his right to the throne. But, but what about Baal worship that had infected the land? That was Jehu's next responsibility, and he decided to use deception as his major weapon here. So as king of Israel, Jehu could have deal with Baal worship in one of three ways. Number one, you could have commanded them to leave the land. Number two, you could have obeyed Deuteronomy chapter 13 and kill all of them. And number three, you might, uh, you might even have tried to convert them. Actually, it's four. And, and, and number four, you also could have ordered the temple of Baal to be torn down. So Jehu had the promised support of the leaders in Samaria, verse 5. So why did he choose to lie to the people and then kill them? I'm going to show you something right here. He had authority from Moses to kill the idolaters, and that, and that he did, but, 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 and, and that he did, but why did he deceive them? We're going to see something right here, very interesting right here. Okay? Look at verse 22. And he said unto him, that was over the vestry, bring forth vessels to all the worshippers of Baal, and he brought them Fort Vestris. And Jehu went, and Jehonadab, the son of brother, Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look, that there be with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshippers of Baals only. Jehu gave the impression that he wanted pure worship, but the great sacrifice, for the great sacrifice, but, but once the the Baal worshippers were already inside the temple. Jehu instructed his eight soldiers inside the temple to be ready to enter the, the temple as soon as the sacrifice was ended. But he had a twist here. Look at this right here. Look at verse 25. And it came to pass 
as soon as he made an end of offering. Okay. If you're speed reading this thing, look what it says. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of an offering, the burnt offering, then Jehu said to the guard, okay, slow down, let's go back to the beginning. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering. You see, he, see the word he right there, had made. Jehu said to the guard of the, of the captains, go and slay them. You see the little twist right here? Does the verse he in, in, in verse 25 refers to Jehu or the high priest of Baal? How could the king be visible at the altar and without raising suspicions right here? Leave the altar and go outside to command the soldiers to kill all the, the worshippers of Baal. Did Jehu go to the temple and worship Baal himself before you order that? We don't know for sure, but the first, but the, the verse seems to indicate that he did. Did he do it to deceive all Baal worshippers to get into the temple? Or did he did because he was a Baal worshiper himself? Jehu plan worked and enabled him in one day to wipe all Baal worshiping in the land here by lying, by lying to the people. He accumulated a larger crowd of Baal worshippers that if he had gone after them and, uh, and one, uh, one time. But we see right here a little twist in that verse. Did he, was he a, a Baal worshiper or did he try to deceive all the Baal worshippers to go in so you could kill everybody? He said, he did worship. You know, look what it says. Let, let's go back to the verse. Interesting. And it, it came to pass as soon as he. We can twist as much this as we want. As he is referring to him. Had made end of offering the burnt offering. So this guy went to the altar of Baal and made a burnt offering. Let me put it this way. Is that what God told him to do? Absolutely not. It's like us doing this thing. I'm going to the house of God, and I'm going to worship God the way I want. Okay? I'm going to bring what I want to the house of God, and we're going to have a grand old time. Folks, if it's not biblical, we are wrong. You follow that? If it's not biblical, we are wrong. You know what? Listen, folks. You can become the most unpopular church on the land. But if we do in the word of God, God is pleased. Right. If we do in the will of God and follow what the Bible says, then to God be the glory. Because we need to be careful. We really do. We really need to be careful. We live in a, in a day and age today that everything is coming and everything is okay. When it's not okay. Number four, compromise and consequences. Compromise and consequence. We're almost done. So the Lord blessed Jehu for his obedience, granting him a dynasty that would last to be forty uh, to the fourth generation. Second uh, Kings ten thirty right here. However, because Jehu continued to hold down to idolatry or idolatrous worship of, of King Jeroboam, Second Kings ten twenty nine and thirty one, God began to reduce the size of Israel, gradually giving them over to the power of Hazael. Of Syria. So once things quiet down right here, Jehu had had long reign 
28 years, but he followed the ways of Jeroboam and worshipped the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. Let me tell you, remember Jeroboam when we began First Kings? Jeroboam, and it, it, you know, with the, what he did, and many other kings followed the same example of Jeroboam, and they have Jehu right here doing the same thing. Letter A, we see wrong choices. Wrong choices. Look what it says in verse 29. How about from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel descend, Jehu departed not from after them to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and they were in Dan. But Jehu took the heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. This man is like one of those Christians that live on, on, this, on, the, on the fence. You know, he loved God. He wanted to follow him with all, all of his heart. But he leaned towards Jeroboam right here. Folks, we cannot serve two masters. This is what Jesus said in the beginning when I was beginning the lesson. We cannot serve two masters. Wrong choices. Choice is something that all of us make every day, folks. And for sure, when we make bad choices, more than likely, we reap bad consequences. Jehu made, made some bad choices, and we see him here in, in these last verses of this chapter. He had a bad choice that he made. He should have followed the God of Israel. No, he's leaning toward Jeroboam, the way Jeroboam used to worship idols. And there he is right here doing the same thing. May we always focus on the Lord. And worship the Lord the way the Lord wants to be worshipped. Let it be, we see the road to exile. Israel now on the road to exile by the time the book of Second King ends. They will be taken away into captivity. And it all begins right here with, by Jehu in chapter 10 here. Uh, and let me put it this way. Why the Lord allow Israel to be taken out of the land? It's very simple. Continually. Sinning against the Lord. Now, does the Lord forgive sin? Yes, every day. Praise the Lord for His grace and mercy. You know, but if we just enjoy what we're doing and keep doing, keep doing, and never even have regards for God at all, eventually God is going to come after us. That's what happened here to the children of Israel. You know, it's a continual idolatry. Continue to worship idols. And God says, you know what? I'm going to take you out of the land. And he did. He did to Israel and he did to Judah as well. I conclude with this. Lessons from the life of Jehu. Number one, worldly success can tempt us to be prideful and seek self-glorification rather than God's glory. Number two. It is possible to be used by God but not have an authentic relationship with God. Number three, we must be careful to not pursue more uh, intensely our goals or hobbies than we pursue following our God. Number four, how we worship God matters. False worship or, of a true God is an, for a true God is an, an, unacceptable. Number five, a life of fellowship with God is vital and ends well. Number six, we need to guard against idols in our lives and worship God in spirit and in truth. And the final lesson, 
Serve the Lord with all your heart and worship Him in the biblical way. Follow Him wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly every day. Be careful. There's a lot of things going on in our society. Listen, here's a true fact, and I'm closing with this. The attendance in churches are shrinking. Okay? That's a reality. It's what happened in our nation. In some countries are flourishing, in America are shrinking. It doesn't mean that we, leaders in the church, have to go and, and create worldly fashions in order to bring people in. We should never do that because that goes against God. We worship the Lord the way the Lord tells us to worship Him. We serve and follow Him the biblical way and leave the results to God. Because He's building our church, the church, not us. We just, all of us are just servants of the Lord here. I serve as a pastor. You serve Sunday school teacher. You serve this. You serve everybody has some type of a title here. And we serve the Lord together. God builds His church. But we should never go and cross boundaries that God set for us in order to fill the church with people? No. You should never do that. Listen, folks. It is very tempting to do it. You follow that? It's a very tempting to do it, especially when we begin to get jealous about what we see in other churches. We say, oh, that church is filling itself up. We must be doing something wrong here. No, if you're doing what the Bible says, you're not doing nothing wrong. We just follow the Lord. That's what we do. There was a young man that preached here at our church not long ago. Who, uh, I would love to talk to him. He was in college with me. He changed everything. Everything. For us, it shows he can have people in. What about the biblical way in which the Lord sets in his word for us to have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on, on earth? We should do it that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this passage of Scripture tonight, Lord. Help, help us not to cross boundaries. Lord, uh, help us to stay faithful to you in everything we do and say. Uh, Lord, as we go to our time of prayer, Lord, I just be with us, Lord, and also our fellowship time. Blessed, I pray in Jesus' name.